You're listening to Test, Learn, Grow, where we believe that all marketing should create value, build trust, and inspire change. This is the Level Agency way. Hey, my name is Miles Biggs. And I'm Alan Reynolds. Alan and I are proud to be your hosts for this podcast. In each episode of Test, Learn, Grow, we'll be joined by agency team members and other members of the marketing community for radically candid conversations on all things marketing. So without any further ado, let's have one of those conversations and jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Test, Learn, Grow. Today, Alan and I are joined by Prasanna Dungel of Grow by Data. Prasanna, appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. And I appreciate, you know, the warm gesture here. I look forward to the conversation. So we're going to ask you the quintessential dating question. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. What brought you here? Sure. Uh, I am Prasanna Dungel. I uh, started and run Grow by Data. And what we do is we provide marketing intelligence to brands and agencies. Specifically, we provide competitive intelligence in the eyes of the digital shopper, right? And so you might be buying a pair of shoes for the snow in Boston and, you know, you're searching. And so, you know, if you are Reebok and you're trying to sell, you know, we provide intelligence on, you know, our shoppers finding you on Google, you know, are, you, are they finding you on Amazon and so on. And you need this intelligence to do well as a brand. So I started this and through my years of experience in data, I've seen problems with data that marketers face, other colleagues face, and I wanted to share the journey as well as my experience on how to do well with data, which is why, you know, I connected with Miles and I appreciate, and that's how we're speaking today. Yeah. So I'd love to explore that. Like you said, the journey. So obviously this isn't the first enterprise you've done, right? You did other things before starting Grow by Data. How did we get here? You hinted at it a little bit, but you saw a problem and you wanted to fix it. So can you tell us a little bit about how the company came to be and your journey to the conversation today? Sure, of course. So I I went to uh, undergrad in upstate New York, Cornell, and then went to grad school and I started working in the data space in the early 2000s in the healthcare space. And back then it was like, you know, everyone's digitizing right, you know, trying to build software. And, you know, I went to business school after that. And, you know, in the early 2010 decade, everything was about big data, right? There's this whole movement into big data. And what I was finding is, you know, every customer that I was working with, you know, had increasingly had data problems. And I built a hypothesis on how information should be used. And my co-founder and I, we were chatting in like late 2013 and we saw that gee in the e-commerce space you know there is increasing need for valuable insights for marketers and merchandising managers and so we said let's start grow by data to really offer marketing insights or insights to small to medium-sized businesses and that's how we started grow by data and through the last eight years it's it's been a journey which is we started in product catalogs, you know, as retailers and brands were trying to go online, then we moved into like, it it became increasingly competitive in Amazon and other industries. So customers were like, hey, can you tell us uh, pricing of our competitors? Then we we kind of evolved into that direction. Then everyone started to get into Google and 
you know, our software allowed them to get onto the Google Merchant Center. And recently, you know, they really want to understand like intelligence about what competitors are doing. And so we've morphed our offering based on what customers are saying. So that's been the journey, essentially, listening to customers. But it started with like trying to bring data knowledge to help those that are wanting to use data, but are not really in the data weeds. I want to explore what you just said, that phrase, wanting to use data, but aren't in the data weeds, right? That's a great way to put it, because I think that's most people that probably listen to this podcast, right? We, we probably have some people that are the data folks, but most, I think, would understand why it's important, but maybe don't necessarily understand all the intricacies, how to build the, the thing. They just know how to use it, whatever people like you build, right? So yeah. how do we go about, like democratizing it a little bit, right? Like taking these things are so complex. When you start thinking about machine learning and, and artificial intelligence and everything that's out there pointing to the future of how that is going to be used for business intelligence, it is complicated. So how, how do you take something that is so complicated and make it something that's accessible to most everyone? I mean, that that's a very important question. And I will start with my own experience, which is, you can say, you know, I'm an engineer, right? And for a long time, I thought that, you know, if I build something cool, you know, customers will find valuable, the classic fallacy, right? You know, and then what I realized is like the reason I started the company and the reason I am doing what I'm doing is not for myself, right? It's really to add value. And when we offered all these insights to our customers, they were saying, this is overwhelming, right? This is just not... I'm very busy. <laughs> I'm probably overwhelmed with my job, you know, and I really don't know what to do with it. And so I, I think the way to solve the problem is I always like to think with the customer in mind, you know, and then especially in marketing, you know, you have folks that really want to help customers and they do not want to get into the weeds. So the hard part really is not just creating data. It's actually creating things that are very simple, right? Simple that summarize what's happening and then that help the marketer, especially in our space, navigate what they should do. And that's the way we kind of try to morph our company, which is uh, how do we help managers? How do we help executives really understand the lay of the land and get tactical input in terms of what to do? But to come back to your question, I think it's really trying to put the end user's hat, you know, really, you know, have an environment where they're comfortable asking simple questions, right? And you might not have thought of, you know, trying to have like a very diverse team, you know, that's that doesn't hesitate to question and really say you did a bad job. So I think it's really, it's going back to being simple. It's trying to have the customer's you know, folks that are like your customers in your team, in your product teams, it's really trying to understand our customers using your product in the first place and really dissecting and continuing to simplify. And, and I think this is really an art, right? You know, where, which and many folks in data, there's like hundreds of companies out there, right? I believe the ones that are really going to do well are the ones that really take the complexity simplify and make it easy for the end customers. I mean, I, I give a bad example, right? Like I ask Alexa, you know, for simple things like what's the weather, right? You know, or, you know, I ask Alexa to remind me to do a task. 
So we are, tr- it's, it's a, it's an example of something simple. And I think we need to make the, take the complexity out of the data, put it in the black box and really allow the end customers to draw, answer simple questions. That's, I think, what will really allow us to really benefit from this huge investment that's happened. And, you know, you guys, I'm, I'm just curious, like, you know, how you guys are napping in this, right? You know, cause, you know, you're right in the middle of this yourself, Miles and Anne. Uh, two two points came up for me when, as you talked. First, this reoccurring thread in our podcasts of empathy, right? Really thinking about the end user and designing for that person came up. And the other idea that came up was simple is challenging. Yes. Oftentimes we talk about whether I'm discussing onboarding and developing training for onboarding or whatnot. The simple things are often the hardest. To, to get right. And so as I think about your question, how, how do we approach it? What I've been reckoning with and exploring in my work is, and yes, we want a simple end interface, but sometimes having the simple end interface doesn't give you the depth of knowledge that you need to understand why it is the way it is. So I don't want to be in the data digging around all day, right? We don't have time for that. But if I don't understand how the data works, if I don't understand how it how it's created, where it's coming from, if it's quality, if I just trust that end product, I, I don't truly deeply know the thing. And I feel like in marketing, we have to truly deeply know the thing to be able to deliver that end simple result. So for me personally, I've been trying to become less data afraid and, and really roll up my sleeves and, and feel comfortable you know, going in and exporting data, large swaths of data and trying to do quality assurance. And, you know, you have to be able to, to do the thing in order to simplify it. And if you can't do the first basic thing, you can't simplify it. No, I mean, that, that's an interesting point, which is, I think you're coming at it from a different angle, which is in our case, we did all this effort to make data accessible, right? You know, and make it clean and, and complete. And then... When we shared that with our customers, they were saying, give us insights. But to your point, sometimes the customer asks you deeper questions. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, at that point, you know, you need to have the ability to go in and answer to them quickly. And, you know, because I think that's the way that you begin to gain trust. Is that what you're finding? Which is in our case, you know, like it's like you present something and the customer asks you a question, you provide answers with data and over time it that's how they build the trust and they rely that what you are providing is is value is, is that kind of the experience you guys have had yeah i'd say so i think the keyword you said and all that there persona was insights right like customers at the end of the day don't really care about data that much like right. on its own they right, care right. about what the data can tell them and what they can make the data do for them or what they can now learn about their business that perhaps they didn't know before the data was analyzed. That's what they really care about. And so, you, like you said, you can overwhelm them with all of it and just throw it all out. You want the data, here it is. But if they don't know what to do with it, it can erode trust, right? Because to what Alan's point, like it's our job to understand the complexities of it so that we can translate it into cyber communication. And then it's really, it becomes about not the data. You don't even need to use that word. It's just like, here's what we learned. And here's our recommendation based on what we learned. Right. To help folks evolve. 
you know, it's, listening to your story it made me smile, Persona, because like you're basically a poster child for test, learn, grow, our whole mantra. And I don't know if you thought about it that way, but like you had an idea for your initial product, you launched it. That was your test. Right. You learned from all of your customers what exactly they, they really wanted right. based on your initial thing. And then you changed it based on those learnings to now grow. Like right. test, learn, grow by data. It's, it, it, it's interesting you say that. The way I like to phrase it, I say, I say like crawl, walk, and run. <laughs> I always say like, you know, before, I mean, we can paint this huge picture, but then let's first crawl. You make sure we have the right things in place, then walk before we run. But absolutely, I mean, that's, that it really is the model and keeping the customer in mind. I think that's something important that I feel I've learned over the years, which is you can do all of that in your vacuum, you know, with folks like yourself and you might actually run, but you might be running in the wrong direction. Whereas, right. you know, as you go through that journey, you know, ensuring that you have a diverse stakeholder in place, you know, you have a culture that's really challenging what's ha what you are building. And you have the customer increasing the, the customer in the experience is critical to success. I mean, I feel like that's that's been what's built great products. And I, I imagine like, you know, that, that that must be the journey that you guys take as well. Right. You know, in, in test, learn and grow. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we're definitely aligned there. And I think a lot of people are. They just call it something different. Right. So it's fun to hear other people's versions of test, learn, and grow. Like you said, crawl, walk, run, or whatever it might be, because right. people tend to arrive at the same sort of methodology in their own way, call it their own thing, right. but it works. That's why that's why we all arrive at it in our own way, right? It's because we find success using it. Yeah, one, one question I'll, I'll ask you, Miles, is like, yeah. you know, in the digital marketing space, right? There's this, a lot of challenges that marketers have around black box of the platforms, right? So we rely on Google, you know, we rely on Amazon and there's black box. And Alan nicely stated it as well, which is, you know, you kind of have to go under the covers and be able to understand it. Is that a challenge that, you know, your customers are having, which is they don't know what's happening with Google or Amazon or any other platform. And the folks in marketing as well as the customers really want to go under the black box and understand a little bit of what's happen happening and and through that gain control. Is that the experience you guys are also having? I, yeah, I think, I think it's definitely a shared frustration by just about anybody in marketing is you don't see inside the black box, so you don't actually know for sure what's there. And as soon as you get an understanding of what you feel is there, they change it, right? The algorithms update or they release something and it's always dynamic and evolving. And so... That is why a lot of customers end up working with an agency like Level or whomever they're working with is because they're only one entity on their own and they only have so many resources. One of the benefits of working with an agency is that I'm working with your company and dozens, hundreds of others. And so I have more opportunities to test and learn and grow and understand how it works that then I can apply to your business and get to the right mix for your industry and your target audience faster than you would if you only relied on what you were exposed to with your business. Right. So all that iteration and testing across multiple, you know, audience targets, ad types, platforms, right? It, it's, we could kind of reconstruct the black box, so to speak, and get a better understanding of it. And we were fortunate enough to have, you know, we're a Google premier partner and we've got great contacts over at Meta to understand uh, their platform and changes. And so, we can leverage our resources to help customers 
kind of decode it for themselves and figure out what's going to work. Cause it can be frustrating if you're going at it by yourself. It's, it's a lot to stay on top of. So, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, our, we also work with our agency partners for the very same reason, which is, you know, agency partners are working with many brands and we act, we have acted as a friend to the agency to provide insights and really couple ourselves with agency partners so that ultimately we both provide value, you know, around search and marketplace to customers. So it's, 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 it's great to be talking about these topics <laughs> with you guys because we're in this together. Absolutely. Speaking of being in this together and journeys, Prasanna, I would love to hear this, the journey of you becoming an entrepreneur, deciding to start Grow by Data. It's a bold choice, right? Eight years ago. Could you give us a little insight into those early days and how you took that risk and built what you have today? Sure. So I'll, I'll talk about two topics. One is how I started the company. And then the second, the early days, you know, and it's, it's going to be a different perspective. You know, I think hopefully though, to those that are wanting to start companies and those to those that are in the process of trying to grow. So, I mean, the reason I started Grow by Data was because before that I was getting frustrated with how hard it was to be able to gain insights, right? You know, which is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, irrespective of the decade or the era, it's always customers are trying to get answers. Years ago, it would take a week, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it was like a few days. Now it's, they need answers now. But, you know, what I was finding is really customers were asking like complex questions, you know, and they needed answers quickly and the infrastructure and the, mindset, you know, within companies to be able to serve com- customers was pretty archaic. And it was, it was hard, right? Trying to bring about change. And that's why I started to formulate this thesis called the data value chain. It's, it's a framework I've built over the years, which, which is a technique that, you know, any company can use to be able to harvest and monetize data. So, and, and the reason I started this company was I wanted to really bring this capability to me. I wasn't able to do it within companies I work for. So I just said, gee, I'm going to start a company to do this. So <laughs> it was like purely frustration, I guess, you know, to not be able to solve a problem I wanted to solve. And then, gee, you know, you start a company and it's exciting, right? You know, and, you know, there's like people are congratulating you. You have your first customer and there's euphoria and, and all of that, right? But, then, <laughs> you know, after that, what happens is, you know, you have to deliver to your customer, right? You have to, and it's not just a project. There's a difference between consulting slash project work versus building a company. It's like, you know, you have to have a sustainable business model and, you know, you have to hire people and there's lots of choices. Why would people come and work with me? A dude, right? They're not going to work with me. They have lots of choices, right? So you kind of rely, you kind of beg, borrow, you know, folks, you know, you are, relying on your friends, your colleagues to help you with interviewing, you know, or they're referring folks to you, right, to try. And then, you know, you do things like, you know, you keep employees happy. You know, we had this thing called the friends of the firm. That's that's a word I used to use. And the friends of the firm was a small group of friends and we would have a happy hour once in a while and they would advise me, they would refer me. And so it was a loose network <laughs> that I created on the fly. And then, you know, over time, it was like, okay, you know, you, uh, you add value to a customer. It just takes a while for them to trust you. 
then it grows, you know, and, and then you get to a certain level. And then beyond that, you know, you can't just your business, your revenue can't plateau, right? Because, you know, employees want excitement, right? You know, they want to see growth, you know, they want to see. And, and so it's, it's a constant. So the, the, the phase I went through after that is like, okay, what's stable? How do I make sure that it's repeatable and how do I deliver to customers and how do we explore the next frontier or the next product or the next service? How do I keep my core alive and how do I move into something new and then really focus there and really add, right? So it was this constant journey. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's it's really, t- I think it's, it's easy to start a company, but it's extremely hard to kind of do it in the long run and really have the right processes, have the right product, the right partnership to make it sustainable. I mean, I'll say, you know, had it not been for thousands of people that have supported me, I mean, I, I would, I mean, we would not be where we are today, but it's, 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 <laughs> I think the journey is much, much, much harder than starting. That's been my experience. Which brings back up that point of simplest challenging, right? It's easy to start a company, but sustaining it, that is a simple but very challenging uh, endeavor. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you, when you think about some of these challenges you faced, what's been your mindset as an individual and as a company that's guided you through some of these challenges? Sure. Starting or growing a company you know, as an entrepreneur is a, is a mindset game. <laughs> That's what I say. You go through a lots of ups and downs, you know, and, and I, I've begun to kind of break down the uh, journey by having four types of strengths, right? I think as an entrepreneur, any, any, actually any individual, you need to take care of your physical health, right? You know, you want to, you want to be healthy. You want to keep, have your mental health also good. And it's very important, you know, your mind, right? The third angle I've, said is I call it like the spiritual health, you know, which is you have to keep your spirits in high gear and whether you're religious or not, you know, that's a different topic, but there's something about spiritual health. And then the other angle I've I've said is it's like the societal, you know, we are part of a society, you know, we have friends and making sure that we have friends that can support us, families that can support us is important. And so as, as I kind of think about the journey, it's, it's like, how do you keep all of these things in check? And then it's it's very hard, honestly, you know, like I think trying to grow an enterprise, you know, you are responding to customers, right? You are accountable for employees, you know, your partners call you, your vendors call you because you need to make a payment, right? And ultimately, you know, you are responsible for hundreds, if not thousands of people <laughs> and you have the pressure. And, you know, you, it might be that, you know, you, you don't take care of yourself, you know, while you take care of everything else. And so, I mean, like, it's like sometimes, many times, you know, you have to kind of step away and wonder, you know, are you doing the right things, you know, as part of this journey? You know, are you, are you the right leader? Do you have the right skills? Right. Is this the right path for you? You know, are questions that you do ask yourself on an ongoing basis? But then, you know, as you step back, if you are directionally right, right, if you're headed down the right direction, if you are meeting your goals, mostly, it's not, I don't think you'll meet all goals, but if you're mostly meeting your goals and if you feel like you are making an impact, 
most importantly to your customers, right? And you are, you seem to be growing something that is headed in the right direction. At least that gives me positivism, you know? And, and then I think the most important thing in my mind is this journey is extremely hard, right? You know, and it just seems very exciting at, at the highest level. But then you need to have like a lot of mental toughness. You know, it's it just like, you know, it's, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Right. You know, you just have to realize what you don't know. You have to look at like short term bottlenecks. Right. You know, you can't compare yourself to the massive company out there. It's impossible. Right. It's like the David and Goliath example someone gave me. It's like, you know, you are someone small and how do you focus and how do you attack the problem in front of you and move ahead without getting overwhelmed? It's like, again, the data problem is the same problem to entrepreneurs, which is how do you not get overwhelmed? Right. Mm -hmm. Very easy to be overwhelmed. In fact, it's very easy to be bogged down and feel like you can do it. But I think it's, it's a lot of like keeping your mental composure being persistent, being positive and trying to get the good things, constantly learning, right? Constantly trying to surround yourself that with people that have done it before. Thankfully, there's lots of uh, folks that are sharing these days. Folks like yourself, right? With podcasts, you guys are doing a great job, right? Sharing the story. What do people like me do, right? <laughs> Especially in the COVID era, like previously you'd go and meet people, but these days you're listening to podcasts or YouTube videos. And it's extremely inspirational. So I, I think it's it's all of these things that really come into the journey that I try to do. I don't claim I'm an expert at this, but that's what I've tried to do so far. And what I love about what you shared is it was through the lens of your entrepreneurial journey starting a business. But everything you just said is so applicable at any level of someone's career, right? Like right. think of your own career as a business. Not not you can do this too, Prasanna. I'm speaking to the people listening now, right? People listening, think of your own career as a business, right? As you're trying to grow your business or go to that next promotion, you're going to hit everything you talked about, Prasanna, as you're trying to scale and grow your own, the company of you. Right. Sometimes I feel like when people hear entrepreneurial stories, it's easy for them to say, oh, well, that's easy for him to say, I'm not that guy. I'm just this guy over here, this girl over here. And there, there's something to relate to any, any stage of your growth, whether you're in a current company, you've owned it for a while, you first job out of college, whatever it might be, we're all going to struggle with what you talked about that are in our own way. And so it's good to hear folks aren't alone. Some some great tips you gave to how you move through it, right? It's it's really important to share that stuff. So I appreciate you doing it. No, of course. And you know what I what I thought about this is like you know I think in our life, right? You know the early I have like two small boys, and then they are in a structure, right? You know preschool, you know school, first second grade, then you go to college, then you go to grad school. You know, then you have your first job, you know, and then there's a little bit of structure early part of the career. But increasingly, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an executive, it becomes very nebulous, right? And so how do you take something that's fuzzy, you know, where you don't have the right answer, but how do you bring structure to something that's very fuzzy and try to make the best of what you have, despite all the pressure? So have, you been, have you been eavesdropping on my uh, job pathing conversations? <laughs> this sounds exactly like some of my personal, my conversations with Miles privately. <laughs> oh, I have not. But, you know, I mean, I'm glad, you know, that at least like I was doing this in isolation, thinking through this. But, you yeah. know, I mean, like, 
I guess, you know, I mean, just reading through other folks, listening to other folks, I, I don't know if anyone has articulated it as such, but isn't the managerial or the leadership journey, whether you are an artist, right? Or whether you are a CEO or whether you are, you know, an executive at a company, isn't it always like that? Isn't that the reason that people make you a leader? It's to create, to solve a problem. <laughs> you know, otherwise, why would they hire you in the first place, right? Why would a customer right. hire you? There was no problem. So I, I've kind of started to rationalize all of this from that lens. I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> no, I mean, you're so right. And to Alan's point, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, we've had lots of conversations about this, right? You get, you get to a point in your career where the path is not well-defined. Like you're staring at like a jungle in front of you and you got a machete in your hand and you're actively clearing the path for yourself because you're, you're charting a new course. And it's not always like sitting down on day one for school and like, here's the syllabus, just follow these rules and you'll get a, like, you'll be fine. You have to create them as you go. And for some folks that can be very overwhelming. Other folks, it's incredibly exciting and they, they would never go back to any other way. And it's just figuring out how to, how to navigate that reality, whether, Again, the, the, the applications here are great. It can be your entrepreneurial journey. It can be, you know, a, a specific project with a client. Like you're trying to figure out a problem and that's the path you're charting to like reach the solution. Right. But all the, like you said, it's a mindset game, right? The way you approach it is very similar. And then once you can master what's between your ears like that, how you apply it, you'll find so many more ways to do it and just more, more paths to success because that same way of thinking works in so many different ways yeah absolutely and, and what i found is the complexity really there's like two or three f factors of complexity that really makes this harder one is i realized like customer needs are always evolving right so what you think is happening you know is different in six months or a year number two competition is always changing you know which is you think you want to do something and then comp competition comes in and does something else and then the third is, you know, your country or your market or your platform is changing. So because of these three changes, you know, I, I'm realizing that in every industry as a leader, you have to be aware of competition. You have to be aware of, your, of what your end customers are doing. And you have to understand the market or the country or politics. And navigating all of these three things and charting a path for your team, for your industry, is an ongoing leadership challenge. I feel that I believe that you know you—that's what you get into you know, as a leader. <laughs> and just understanding that and being aware probably keep, makes a leader ready versus kind of get surprised. Yeah, like you said, it's and that's that balance of you're, you're worrying about all those things and your team. You have to, you're giving of yourself to other people. You also have to remember to replenish what's going on with you too, so that you continue to show powerfully and lead the team and have something to give of others. You don't just like burn out yourself. It's, it's right. a big balancing act for sure. Absolutely. Like they, like they say, right? You have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can assist others. So whether that's exercise for you, whether that's you know meditation, mindfulness, whatever your well-being practices are, really making sure you have those nailed down so that you can serve others to the best of your ability seems critical here. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think like, again, these days, it's also, you know, they say like, you know, you are who you surround yourself with, right? And before it was a bit easier, normal times. But these days, you know, luckily, you know, with the internet and you know, a lot of content that people are sharing. 
I think it's also surrounding yourself and listening to those that you want to be like or that really inspire you is very motivating. I, I, I found that very helpful, which is, you know, there might be a world famous athlete, right? You know, or someone who, who someone did Everest, you know, and, you know, you just understand the journey and the mindset they went through. It just helps me get better. And, and I, I, I again, that's why I want to thank everyone who has shared content out there. You know, it, it helps everyone. You know, it helps the community. Yeah, I've heard it put that you're the sum of the six people you spend the most time with is the way I've heard that put before. And those six people could be like actual people, like the three of us on this call, or it could be authors or your podcast hosts you listen to, right? You spend time with those people digitally as you're consuming their content. And so you end up becoming like the sum of those characteristics all put together. Right. Right. And I love that when I heard that, I, just, I loved it so much because it's such, it's a more active way to move about the world. You shift from like, oh, things are happening to me or like I have no control, but you can control those six people you spend the most time with and control what you feed your brain with. And then that changes the way you show up elsewhere and you'll start to see things happen for you if you are conscious about who those six people are and what kind of stuff you're consuming and then the stuff you're putting out there yourself. Right. Absolutely. Well, one question I'll throw at you guys is like, you know, as you think about kind of the way that, you know, our work is evolving, right? You know, it's like hybrid, remote, you know, and then historically there was these, you had conferences, you would meet colleagues at work and so on. How do you see, you know, the marketing landscape, right? You know, or how do you see colleagues that are into digital marketing really continuing to surround themselves, you know, and push themselves and get, get better, you know, despite this hybrid remote nature of work that's evolving? Like, how do you continue to get better? Like, you know, previously at work, I would meet excellent colleagues and I would have a chance. I might just like meet them over coffee break, right? But how do we create this innovation? How do we like have these whiteboarding sessions where we kind of talk openly and build something great? I mean, I'm just curious, like, you know, techniques that you guys have heard that you guys are using that folks in marketing can use. The big one, uh, I think first it starts with hiring. I think when you hire like ambitious, hungry, curious people, right? When you attract a curious mindset, that is so important. I feel like that's what we look for more, even more so than, you know, the hardcore skills. If you're curious and you have a desire to learn, there's really little limit you can put, put on a person. And so we start with that mentality. And then once you are here in the company, we have centers of excellence. So each discipline has this group that is composed of experts, right? And each month they deliver a talk, an hour-long presentation with up-to-date information, trainings, etc. so that we're up-to-date on client services, we're up-to-date on medium, and it really drives and pushes us. And everyone across the company can attend. So, you know, while my strength might be in client partnership, I really want to grow in my data skills. So I really make an effort to go to the data uh, center of excellence meeting because I want to grow there. And that is just built into our culture of being curious and working together to find solutions. Yeah, not to add to that, what I've found, to your point, Prasanna, it used to be like if you're in person, you were surrounded by colleagues. But what's different going remote or even hybrid now is that when we were in person, those colleagues you were surrounded with was really was really dependent on your geographic location, right? Like right. you had to be in the same city. 
in order to benefit from the knowledge each other had. But now, like on my team alone at level, there are people from California, Washington State, Massachusetts, Michigan, Pennsylvania, somebody from Florida recently came through it. Like I never would have had the opportunity to interact with all these brilliant people in California if we were still showing up to a physical office location. And so I think that's a great result of all the not so great things that have come out of, you know, everything happening with COVID and going to remote is that it's really broadened everyone's horizon because now it doesn't really matter where you're physically located. If you can get on the internet and you network, you can expose yourself and those like some of six people, right? Those six people could be all over the world and you have the benefit of, of, of that more than you did before. And that allows you to grow and push yourself, I think, because it's people from different, different ideas and even like cultures, right? If you think in countries, but even parts of the US, like cultures are different. Right. Exposure to those different types of people forces you to think about yourself a little bit differently, about what you're doing differently and forces you to get better. Yeah, it, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Like, you know, in, in my career, I have been exposed to like, call it different parts of the US near sourcing, which is, you know, you're in a different country which that's in the same time zone and you have team members that are in Asia that are working 24 hours. And so, you know, to your point, you know, thanks to all the tools and the openness, you know, you now have the ability to tap into talent anywhere in the world, anywhere in the US, anywhere in our time zone. And, you know, I mean, like thanks to the internet, you know, you have folks that are knowledgeable, you know, in harder skills that, you know, I have found that small to mid-sized businesses have, accessed, you know, in different parts of the world, different parts of the US. And it just is a, is a phenomenal change, you know, which is like, as I think, even think about enterprises in the future, how, how would you start a company? I think it's going to be very different, right? It's like previously, I might just start a co- company with colleagues in Boston, whereas now, you know, I might start a company with colleagues all over the world. <laughs> and, right. you know, and the challenge will be, how do you become a community? you know, when you are not there physically together, that's probably going to be where the challenges and opportunities might arise. But to your point, you know, it's, I think this <laughs> has forced many of us to rethink what a company means, right? You know, how you start a company and how you grow a company. And I'm living through that day to day in my, in my company. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's bringing up the future, right? Which is a question I had for you as we move to almost the end of our time here, Prasanna, is we covered your journey, how we got here. We're talking a lot of like current state, which I love. I'm curious your perspective on the future, you know, in, in your, the industry that you're in, and we talk about data and how it's going to fuel business intelligence. Where do you see that future going? Like, love, love to get like a prediction from you. We can revisit in a year and be like, man, Prasanna called it. He was right. You know, he said this was going to happen and look, it happened. So what do you think is going to be next? Sure. So I'll, I'll answer it from three lenses. One is purely from data analytics. The second from marketing and the third from just the way that we work, which were some of the topics we talked about. So like in the, in the data analytics world, you know, you had, you had like, you have four types of analytics. You say like retrospective, what happened, why, why it happened, predictive and prescriptive. Right. And so a lot of analytics these days is like, hey, tell me what happened and why did it happen? And people are trying to go into predictions, right, with all these modelings. But then I, I see the future more towards, I think, you know, the models will learn about us and will increasingly suggest what we should do. 
you know, call it self-driving cars, cars as an example, or Alexa might know more about me and might begin to offer me ideas. So, I mean, I, I see the industry, analytics industry increasingly evolve toward prescriptive analytics. Now, in our space, right, in the digital marketing space, I feel like companies that really offer holistic insights, right, holistic marketing insights across channels, across geographies, and really help executives and managers really do their job simpler, will do well. Because there's a harsh part. There's so many tools out there. And if you just become another tool provider, you will fail. It's just really hard. And so I believe that, you know, solution providers that really unify and bring the complexities in simple form and really help the marketing executive navigate the journey will do well. That's, that's my second prediction. And the third is, you know, with respect to hybrid and remote, I believe this is going to be, there's, there's just going to be more innovation in remote hybrid work. One area where I think there's going to be tremendous innovation is it's really hard to do whiteboarding sessions, right? You know, when you, when you have something routine, it's easier to do remotely. But then when you want to start a new initiative, there's a lot of friction. And so I see innovation and, and companies that solve that problem will do very well. And companies that adopt newer techniques in terms of creating new initiatives in the remote work, those will do well. So th those are my three predictions as I think next year. I love it. We heard it here fo first, folks. We'll have to revisit it and get you back on and we can play the soundbite back to you and see the future you predicted, Persona. It'll be fun. Sure. I'm curious what you guys think. Right? Hypothesis, like, which is, it's going to be increasingly prescriptive. You know, you will yeah. be told. It's going to be increasingly unified and simplified. And it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of innovation out there. And there's going to be solutions and techniques that allow us to kind of imagine the four or three of us doing a whiteboarding session on a new product that we're launching. So I, I, those are my three. I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, internally, we use Miro. Miro is a wonderful tool for whiteboarding sessions and design thinking we use all the time. That allows us to brainstorm big ideas with clients and internally has already changed how we do work at the agency. Um, okay. So I'm in, I'm in alignment with you. I think that successful companies of the future will be dynamic and respond to the end user, which now looks really different from how it used to. Okay. Miles? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm aligned with the three you said, and we're seeing it all, all of them ha started to happen already. So I right. totally expect to see more of it in the future. The one I'm most interested about is what you talk about with the, the prescriptive side, where we'll start to predict based on your past behavior, we think you will perform this future behavior that hasn't happened yet. I think that'll be really interesting. And it'll be less about targeting people who like retargeting as an example, right? Targeting somebody who already viewed your stuff. And it's going to be more about like, you know, targeting folks that from on the prospecting basis, even more so based on their past data, like how do we get in front of them? and just anticipate that they're going to need you, even though they don't even know about you yet. And just like, right. I think that's going to get more, they'll be finessed more. It'll be more, it'll work better. I think than just typical prospecting right now, where it's like a cold outreach, it'll, it'll feel more aligned to them based on all that. And I think that's where a lot of it's going to come in. And I think this whole idea, as much as people think it's crazy with the metaverse and like the avatars, but right. I think we'll start to see some of that for like, you're talking about the remote teams. It's like, 
you might be in a physically different location, but you'll start to be able to pop into this like virtual world and actually sit around a virtual table together and work on stuff. I would not be surprised if that if that came to fruition. You're starting to see a lot of the popularity of like Meta and their Quest headset really blew up this year. I think you'll see more people adopting that and finding ways to include it because they're forced to with the move to remote and hybrid. Whereas before it would have been a nice to have, it's becoming more and more of a must to have, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and a lot of folks that I discuss with my colleagues, you know, they, 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 they've articulated the same problem, which is, you know, as a leader, you know, you're charting new territory and, you know, you just need to be more efficient and you need better tools, better processes to be able to chart new territory, with, which is really, you know, brainstorming 2.0, you know, so, I mean, I, I actually really look forward to that. Yeah, likewise. Well, we're at time, Prasanna, and we really appreciate all the time you've given us. This has been a really fun conversation. I love the fact that you almost interviewed us as much as we interviewed you. It was a lot of fun to answer your questions as much as it was to ask some of you. So thank you for your time, for sharing your journey. And I think a lot of people will find value in it. Yes. Thank you for the conversation. And I tried to make it conversational because you guys know a lot. And I wanted to also use this opportunity to get to know uh, a little bit about your work and get, get your wisdom. Because, you know, I think it's really, I don't know everything. I need to constantly be learning. So I took this opportunity to learn from you guys as well. But thank you so much. Love it. You don't know what you don't know, right? As you said earlier. So absolutely. Best of luck on the journey and we'll get you on to talk more soon. Thank you. And I'm happy to iterate. You know, if there's any questions you guys have, anything, I'm here as a resource. Thanks for listening to this episode of Test, Learn, Grow from your friends at Level Agency. For more information about what we do here at Level, be sure to visit us online at www.level.agency. And do not forget to rate and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, remember that the best way to do any sort of marketing is to test, learn, and grow.